And now as Pastor Ron comes to deliver this word, anoint him, be with his heart, his mind, his mouth, as he brings us a word fresh from heaven and an individual word to each and every one of our hearts. We thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. You know, I love uh, talking about the power of God. I love uh, seeing the power of God displayed and manifested. And um, I almost thought about preaching about all the wonderful things that I've seen and actually experienced in my life and been an eyewitness to, as the apostles many times said. Um, but then I thought about how many things there would be and it would take all day today and tomorrow and probably many days to explain all the things I've seen God do. So uh, I'm going to stay with something he put in my heart probably a month ago before pastor even asked me to preach. I always know when I'm getting ready to preach because God will always give me a message and he won't give you something to deliver when he doesn't give you someone to deliver it to. There will always be a delivering body to give something to you when he gives something to you. And so um, I have, uh, you've probably watched uh, movies or TV shows where someone's taken captive, taken hostage, kidnapped, however you want to term it. And all of a sudden, somewhere in the process of this hostage negotiation situation, there's panic, there's fear, there's all these things going on. And somewhere in the process, there comes this term, Proof of life. Proof of life. This term or phrase means the person who is holding the hostage has to show proof of life to the person wanting the person back and negotiating to get their release. So the proof of life is evidence that verifies that that hostage that's been taken is still alive. And I started thinking about that that idea and that concept, and I do have kind of a weird way of thinking sometimes, an unusual imagination, and sometimes it runs wild with me and bless my wife's heart, but you know. Um, there are other times where God gives me some really creative thoughts and begins to really work something in my spirit, and that's what happened in this situation. So I wanna to talk to you about some things that have to do with proof of life. Our proof of life as Christians is evangelism. And I'm going to show you how that is and how it relates to this idea of proof of life. In one of these hostage situations you see in a movie or even you might hear on the news, there's three significant things that you always see. First thing you see is a significant identity. The person that's taken hostage is somebody significant. They're the son or daughter or wife of a CEO of some company that somebody wants to get extract money from. They're, they have a significant identity. The second thing you see is there's a significant relationship. That person who's taken hostage has a significant relationship with that person that wants them back, right? And then it moves on to a significant mission. There's specific things that person has to do to get that person they love back, isn't there? Well, I want to look in, in, in light of those things today in light of how evangelism is our proof of life in those three type of elements today. So that's what I'm going to be looking at. I don't have a specific text for about probably first time in 30 years. 
Um, I do like the expository method of preaching, but the Lord gave me this, so if you disagree with me, talk to him about it, and then he can talk to me about it. But first thing I want to talk about is how our significant identity relates to evangelism. Um, John 1.12 says, But as many as received him, to them he gave power or the right. Some versions say right, some say power. As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name. So here we were walking in darkness, not having a clue about who God was or what God was or anything except walking in sin and bondages and darknesses. And uh, we had no clue. Morally didn't know our right hand from our left hand. All of a sudden something happened. God began to intervene in our life. That same John 1 talks about in the beginning. So Jesus was in the beginning. He was pre-existent to this world even being created. He was in the beginning with God. Nothing was made that was made without Him. Then it says something interesting in verse 5. It says, uh, verse 4, excuse me. It says, in Him was life, eternal life. And the life was the light of men. Light, in this sense, means hope. The only hope we ever had of reconciliation to God was in Jesus. And that light shined in the darkness. And even though the darkness did not comprehend it, it shined anyway. Wouldn't it have been terrible if the darkness didn't comprehend the light and the Lord just said, oh well, I tried. But he didn't do that, did he? It says he, he came to his own, and his own didn't receive him. That's the verse right before. But, boy, don't you love the but and therefores in the Bible? Always after a but or a therefore, something good's going to happen usually, or they're telling you something that's going to. But as many as received him. And in the sense they're talking about receive here and who believe in his name, shows it has to do with us accepting Jesus in relation to Him having been interacting, intervening, and reaching out to us. I can tell you, when I was saved, it was because God, through my grandparents and through people I knew who had powerful walks with God, I, that I received seeds of faith from them about testimonies, about the Bible, about things I heard in church, things I heard on the radio, things I heard here and there and yonder. And faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes from the Word of God. So faith comes by hearing the Word of God. And the Holy Spirit creates a seed, and He starts working that seed in your heart, in your spirit, and He comes to birth that thing alive in you. Next thing you know, you begin to see your need for Jesus. You begin to understand the revelation of who Jesus is. All that is God reaching out to you. All of that is God reaching out to me. I have a scripture for you. Romans 5, 8 through 10. Listen to this. But God demonstrates His love towards us, His own love towards us, in that while we were what? Yet sinners. Yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now 
been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. For if when we were enemies, you hear that? We were enemies. Look at your neighbor and say, you're an enemy. If when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. I was an enemy of God. Because God can't have someone with Him that's not holy, that's not pure, that's not able to be in His presence because of sickness and, and sin and disease of the Spirit. We're unclean before Him. Much more than having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, how much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. Can't shout amen to that. Boy, let me tell you, if that don't fire you up, your wood's wet. That's all I got to say. <laughs> Jesus reached out to us when we were in sin, when we were in darkness, when we became revealed to us who He was, when we understood who He was because of His interaction his reaching out. He is the one that started out as the evangelist. He's the one that reached out. He's the one that intervened and interacted in our life. And it's our response to receiving him and our response to believing in his name. He gives us his life. He gives us his name. He creates in us a new creature. He took the old Ronnie Lewis and he said, Hey, boy, you're dead. Let me bring you to life. And I still remember the day, the 3rd January 1972, when I got saved. I know that I got saved. I felt the power of God and the presence of God. First time I'd ever felt this. Come through my head, come all the way down through my feet, and I just felt like my whole being was electrified. I could feel the cleansing of God. I could feel that He touched me and changed me and made me that new person. And from that time on, I wasn't Ronnie Lewis the knucklehead. I wasn't Ronnie Lewis the cusser. I wasn't the Ronnie Lewis the teller of dirty jokes. I was a child of God and a joint heir with Christ. And now my identity is in Him. So my identity is connected to evangelism because He reached out to me. And because my identity is in Him, and I care about what He cares about, I have to be involved in evangelism. Because I'm part of Him, and to be part of Him, i got to be about what He's about. i got to care about what He cares about. i got to love what He loves, and what He loves is people. He's willing that none perish, but all come to repentance. And that's got to shake us to our core. That's got to be our driving motivation and incentive to get out and be His light and to let His power show through us and move through us and touch people. And don't worry about what you think you're not or what you think disqualifies you. I'm standing here today, I could tell you four days, five days it would take to tell you all the things God has done through my life. And it's not because I'm great. You, can, you, you could spend two days as a fly on the wall of my house and um, my wife's reactions to some of the things I do would amaze you that I'd be qualified for anything, really. I can be a knucklehead. I can be absent-minded. I can be forgetful. 
I, she can tell me five minutes. She can tell me you want the way we do this procedure for this part of the house is one, two, three, A, B, C, D, E, F, or whatever. And I go and I do a B flat natural, or I do something that's not at all what she had an expectation of me doing. Why did you do this this way? This isn't the way we do this. Sorry, sorry, I'm a knucklehead. You know what? I could let things like that disqualify me. It made me think, you're really stupid, aren't you? You're really a big old loser, aren't you? You're not qualified to break an egg, are you? You probably couldn't break an egg right. You'd probably get the shells mixed with the egg, wouldn't you? Maybe I would. But I know one thing. I know Jesus. And my identity is locked in with him. It's not based on my disqualifications. It's not based on my deficiencies. It's not based on anything about what I can do. It's about all about what he can do. That's what my identity is in. And that's what yours should be in. And you know what? We can, we can, there are some false identities. You've heard people assuming false identities. There's some identity theft going on in the church. There's people that have what I call a biological identity. My father was, my granddaddy was, my uncle Pete was. It's focused on biological factors, genetics, genealogy. I did a genealogical survey one time. Found out I'm Scottish, Irish, a little bit of German. One of my daughters did one of these a while back. Found out I always wondered about my mother's mother. My mother's mother. If you look at one of these Southwest art paintings of an old Native American Indian woman, and they're wrapped in a blanket, they always have this this little round face with little round cheeks and little little round chin and the beak nose. That's the epitome of what my grandma Gage looked like. I used to always think, she looks like a little Indian lady. Then come to find out when one of my daughters did a, one of these searches a while back, she found out that her great-grandma was a full-blooded Cherokee Indian. Well, no wonder she looked the way she looked. Imagine that. So I got a little bit somewhere of Cherokee in me, I got a little bit of Choctaw in me, just a little bit. But you know what? That's not what makes my identity. That's just, that's just what my physical frame and shaping is made of. That's not who I am. One day, this life is terminal. One day, my life is going to cease. And what people see of me in a casket or in an urn or whatever isn't going to be what's me. What's me is what's inside of me. My identity is not what you see on the outside. It's what he sees and what you experience as a result of who's in me. Not what I look like. Vocational identity. Oh, I'm a doctor. I'm Dr. Kilbride. I'm pastor so-and-so. I'm a machinist. Local 322.A. And uh, some people have their identity in their work. And having a good job that you really like, that you love what you're doing, there's nothing more satisfying than that in making a living and providing for your family. But that is not what your identity is founded on. Is that is there anything wrong with that? No. I hope that everybody here has the best vocation 
based on the mix of talents and abilities and traits you have that's perfectly suited for you. And I hope you're just, I just hope God blesses the socks off you. Don't I don't want to see no bare feet. So, But I hope the Lord just blesses you to where you almost can't stand it with abilities and talents to use in a way that you can make a living for your family. But that is not what makes your identity. He is what makes your identity. Knowing him and him making you a new person in him, that's your identity. Then there's the medical identity. You've seen those before. I'm an arthritic. I'm a diabetic. I'm a heart patient. And those things are not easy to assume as your identity. But do you remember the man that was at the pool for 37 years? You know, Jesus asked him what I thought when I was a little kid was like the stupidest question anybody ever asked anybody. I I think the disciples were probably speaking among others. Did you hear what he asked? He asked that man, do you want to get well? Well, of course the man wants to get well. He's been there 37 years. Not everybody that has an ailment wants to get healed. They get lots of pampering. They get lots of cuddling, coddling. They get lots of attention. And it gets to where they assume the identity of their medical disorder. Your medical disorder is not what defines you. If you have diabetes, if you have kidney issues, if you have heart issues, that is just what it is. It's a physical ailment. It is something that's trying to physically hold you back. That is not what dictates to you who you are. You are not cancer. You are not diabetes. You are not heart, coronary artery disease or whatever. You are the child of God, the joint heir with Jesus Christ, and that is your identity. There's not anything else that defines who you are unless you accept it. Amen? Amen. So if you're not having a desire to reach out to others, you're not having a desire to share the life, the love, and the power of Jesus with those who God places you around, then maybe it's probably an indicator. I'm not saying it is, but it's probably a good indicator you've assumed the wrong identity somewhere. Just saying. Next point, our significant relationship. We do have a significant relationship. I hope you do. If we belong to Jesus and we're walking with him in our life, then we should have a significant relationship as a result of the impact he's had in our life. Man, I know one thing. I've been through thick and thin in my life. I've been through some things that I know for a fact that if it wasn't for him being in my life, I don't know that I would have made it, to be honest. But I can tell you one thing. The word of God is true. He has never left me nor forsaken me. And in my darkest hours when it looked absolutely hopeless, when it looked absolutely bleak, like there was not a prayer of a chance for something to work. In those times where I was so weak and so helpless and so beaten down and without hope that I couldn't even walk, those are the times He carried me. Amen. He never let go of me. 
And in some of those darkest times, that's the time when I pulled into him the closest. That's the time when I grabbed hold with a death grip and refused to let go. And that was my only hope and source of strength. And I'm here today because of that. Upholding of him, of me, in his hands. And the good news about that is he's no respecter of persons. What he does for me, this guy with all these deficiencies, this guy who would be disqualified if human weaknesses could be disqualifying, I would not be fit to be up here. But he's the one that called me, not me. He's the one that said, you go and do what I've told you to do. That I will fill your mouth. I will give you something to say. I will show you what to do. And you do what I say and you're going to be all right. Galatians 2.20, one of my favorite scriptures. I have been crucified. That's a heavy word. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in this flesh, I live by faith, the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. If that don't lay down a foundation of a significant relationship with him to you, I don't know whatever will. I just don't know what else ever would. He loved me when I was unlovable. He loved me when I was in the midst of darkness. He loved me and qualified me even though I was disqualified. And yet he says, come. Take my hand. And I will show you things that you can't believe that I'll do through you. You see, Jesus expects those who follow him to be all the way in with him. There's some different kinds of Christians that I came up with. You're going to like some of these. If you chuckle, that's okay. Chuckling is a way that identifies, yep, that's me. It's also a way that you think, wow, that's so true, it's funny. But there are some who are drive-by followers. They simply drive by and give you a quick God bless you. They know how to say, oh, I'm blessed. They know how to say all the phrases to kind of put you off so you won't bother them. But Jesus don't have drive-by followers. Then there's the RV followers. You know, the RV followers, those who just stay a while with Jesus and then fade away, then leave. They're kind of transient. They come in for a while, leave for a while, come in for a while, leave for a while. They're never stable. They're never sure. They're never steady. They never have fully come in to walk with him consistently. They're kind of transient followers. Jesus don't have them either. He don't have transient followers. Jesus does not, did not have part-time friends. He simply walked up to two people that were washing their nets one day. Let's say they're you. And he walked up to them and he said, No, is that what he said? I thought he said, I need you to follow me. I need 12 people. You're the two I chose. Please come. Now I'm going to walk away and, and don't, don't stay there. Now come on. Please come. Please, I'm begging you. Is that not what he said? He simply said two words. What did he say? Follow me. And what did they do? The Bible said they dropped their nets. 
They left all they had. They left their fishing industry. They left their job. They left everything they had, and they followed him. Were they knuckleheads? Yes, just like me. Were they deficient? Yes, just like me. Were they ridiculous sometimes? Yes, just like me. But Jesus formed and fashioned something in those 12 people that changed the course of this world forever. He established people that went all over the world preaching the gospel. We're here today in a country that didn't even exist then because of people wanting to forge out, telling people in case somebody was here about Jesus. Isn't that a great thing? Matthew 16, 24 says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, and he says to us too, If anyone desires to come after me, he wants you to come after him. He wants you to grab him. Paul put it this way, I grab hold of that for which Jesus grabbed hold of me. He wants you to grab hold of him and not let go. He wants to call you into a significant relationship with him. And because he wants you to be with him, then you got to care about what he cares about. Your thoughts got to be consumed with what his thoughts are on. Your heart has to be where his heart is. And his heart is souls. His heart is that the lost be saved. And so his desire for you is to be engaged in letting your light shine. And being the light that's a city on a hill that can't be hid. He wants you to let his life and his love and his power channel through you to all the people that he's put around you. Just like Pastor Rudy said last, last week. Everybody's called to this. And he don't have part-time friends. He don't have RV friends. And he don't got drive-by friends. He's got all-in friends. And he don't call you friends. He calls you joint heir. He calls you thy good and faithful servant. I like being called good and faithful servant. I don't know about you. Especially when I don't deserve it. That's a pretty cool thing to be called by him. So we're deny ourselves. I mean, we don't put ourselves first. We put him first. We're to take up our cross. What mission has he given you? Everybody here has specific people that God has put around your life, that is put in your sphere of influence, that you have an ability to reach out to. And my question and his question is, what is your cross? What is it that he's wanting to take up, you to take up for him to to? Reconcile the world to God through him if you being his ambassador. You are his ambassador. No, you're not located at some far off place in Zimbabwe at the United Nations as an ambassador to the U.S. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about something higher calling than I'm talking about ambassador for Jesus. Ambassador of God that cares about what God cares about and reaches out because of that care and concern and love. So if we have a significant relationship with Jesus, then we should be involved in evangelism. It is our proof of life. Also, Colossians 3, 3, one of my favorite verses, says you are dead. That's a real, real encourager, isn't it? You are dead and your life is hidden with Christ in God. 
It's the first part of that starts out, if indeed you've been risen in Him. So if you're one who calls yourself a follower of Christ, then you're dead to yourself. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. He has your rights, and He knows exactly what He wants you to do. He's got your calling, and it's sure and steadfast. So if you, we have a significant relationship with Jesus, and we're in Him, if we have a significant relationship with Jesus, then we take up our cross and we reach out to others. Then that does show that we are giving a proof of life that we belong to Him. And last thing, we have a significant mission. When we have a significant identity that we comprehend and we receive in faith, and we have a significant relationship with Jesus because of our identity and because of what he does in and through our life, we should not struggle with having an assignment to have a significant mission to accomplish. Pastor Rudy just told us last week that if people fail to take what they get in here out there and it's not allowed to go out, it will not continue to exist. You cannot, How can you exist with the identity and the relationship with Jesus if something in you is not reaching out to others? Because Jesus reached out to others. He knew his identity. I'm here from the Father. The Father and I are one. He never struggled with his identity. He never struggled with his relationship. But he never also struggled to reach out. He reached out even to those that nobody else would reach out to. The leper, who was really unclean and not fit to be around people and could be stoned. The prostitutes, the beggars, the people that, that everybody else in society had given up on, those were his front row people. Who are your front row people? Do you have front row people? Do you have people that you're trying to reach out to, that you're, you're praying for? You know, yesterday, my wife and I went and ate at a, a uh, Cheddar's. We had a gift card, and it was about time for late lunch, and so we decided, why don't we go use our Cheddar's card? And so we went to a new Cheddar's up here on Little Road. It's kind of in Arlington, kind of in just outside of Mansfield. And um, we'd never been to that Cheddar's, so we went in there, and this this lady was waiting on us, just the sweetest lady, just really a bundle of joy. It's just really a delight to have as a server. And so Lord just inspired me to ask her, could we pray for her? So I did, and I said, ma'am, my wife and I are going to have a meal here in a minute, and before we do, is there anything we can pray for you about? You know what she told me? She looked at me at first like she was surprised, but then she said, yes, there's one, one thing. I said, what can we pray for you about? She said, I just found out my grandma has breast cancer. I said, well, w would you like it if my wife and I joined hands with you and prayed with you for your grandmother? Your grandma's name is Celeste, so I don't forget that. So you'd be praying for God to, to touch Celeste. Didn't ask the lady if she was a believer or not, but you know what? Whether or not she was, if she knows that a customer came in and asked her specifically, can I pray with you about something? And she says, yes, I have a grandma who has cancer. Man, can we pray for you about that? And I'm really believing that God touched her grandma's heart 
and touch her grandma's body. I'm believing that Celeste is healed in the name of Jesus. What kind of impact is that going to make when that lady goes to the next medical check and they say, oh, look, there's no cancer. She's going to remember that that customer sat down there and asked, can I pray with you about something? A real simple little request, but something that could be a game changer for that lady and for her granddaughter that was serving us. Simple thing. Didn't take two minutes. What if it changes somebody's life? Is that two minutes worthwhile? Is it worthwhile? I could have sat there. I could have just ate my meal. I could have just kept quiet, not said a thing. But what if that situation called for God to say, you're the one that needs to pray? You're, remember, you're not qualified because you're the grand poobah of spirituality. You're called because Jesus said, you're the man. You're the woman. You're the one I want to ask if she wants prayer. There's somebody I want to do a miracle through, through you. Now you be obedient and you ask that woman if she wants prayer. And you ask and bam, he comes and he touches that person. Even if they don't get healed, you know what? The worst thing that's going to happen, she's going to remember somebody who loved her and cared her enough to ask. Can we pray with you? Didn't hurt a thing, but it could have gained a huge game-changing impact for somebody. That's what we got to be about. We always got to think about what is the mission. You might go down the street and have $2 of gas in your little gas tank to put in your lawnmower to do your last yard mowing of the year, whatever. And if you see somebody and God just puts that twinge in your heart to reach out, Reach out, and as you step out, He'll give you the word to say. He'll give you the question to ask. He'll give you the thing to say to that person. He, he might be just the point where someone is ready to give their heart to the Lord, and you be the one that gets to lead them to Him. Matthew 28, 19 says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you part of the time, sometime, always, even to the end of the age. Good news, the end of the age hasn't come yet. So that's still now. He's still with you. He's still with me. He wants us to make disciples. He does not want us to sit here and warm our hineys in the seats and go out and say, oh, that was a good service. And never open up and tell anyone about Jesus. He wants us to be full of fire, full of him, full of his life, full of his love, full of his power, and launching all that out of ourselves to others. That's what he wants. You know, that concept of this Matthew 28, 19, there's a term, there's a concept that's named for this principle. Y'all know what it is, right? What is it? It's the great conquest, right? No, it's not the great conquest. Oh, I know. It's the great option. It's optional, right? Oh, it's not the great option. What about the great choice? Is it the great choice? The great suggestion, there you go. Maybe that's what it is. No, I think it's called the great commission. And you see, 
When someone's being commissioned, it means you're sent. It means you're ordered. It means you're directed. It means you're deployed into action. It means put into action. You are released to go and do. The Great Commission isn't the great couch sitting. It's not the great fanny warming. It's the Great Commission. You're committed. You're released. You're ordered. You're deployed. You're sent to go and make disciples. To reach out with His life and love and power and show that to others around you. To build His kingdom. All of us are called to that. Brother Ron's not the only person that's supposed to be an evangelist around here. Uh-uh-uh. Don't you put all that on me. It's not Pastor Rudy's job to go out here and fan the flame. Come on, y'all. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. You're going to go to hell if you don't come to Jesus. He's not the one that has to walk around with a sandwich board around the neighborhood. And it's his job. Oh, the pastor's the evangelist. He's got to do all the witnessing. No, 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 no. You got that all wrong. He called everyone to be a witness. Everybody's been commissioned. If you're commissioned, you're called. And if you're called, you're qualified. Because he'll qualify you. And if you're qualified, he will give you whatever you need, the equipping able to carry out his mission for him. You've never seen a, a boat sink when Jesus was in, have you? Never will either. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ is commissioned to go out of the church into this world and to make a difference. John 15, 5 and 7 says, 5 says, I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. So his desire for the great mission, the significant mission, is for you to bear much fruit in his name. For without me, you can do what? Nothing. You can do nothing of significance without him. You can do nothing with eternal value without him. You can do nothing that really counts in the portals of heaven without him. But in him, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Then in 7, he says something better. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. Without him, we can do nothing. We have to ask Jesus when we abide in him and his words. The reason he if he says right there, if you abide in me and my words abide in you and you ask what you will, I'll do it. The reason that is because if you're abiding in him, that means you're living with him. You're dwelling with him. You're facilitating with him. You're, you're communing with him. You're, you're relating and interacting with him in your life. Your desires are going to be his desires. The things you ask, for are going to be in accord with his will and purpose. That's why he's going to hear it. That's why he's going to answer it. Because if you abide in him and his words abide in you, you're going to ask him for the right things. And he's going to answer it. Because you asked in his name. Not because you're qualified. Not because you're good enough because you ain't. Not because of any other thing except he said 
if you ask in my name, I will do it. So ask him in his name, and he'll do it. So, as I hope I've shown you today, our proof of life of Jesus being in us evidenced through our identity being in him, bathed in evangelism, rooted in evangelism, our significant relationship with him is because he reached out to us. So he wants us to reach out. So our relationship is interconnected with evangelism. It is our proof of life. And our mission is to go and make disciples, to show and demonstrate his power, his life, and his love to everyone he puts us around in whatever way we can at, at the moment. That is evangelism. And evangelism is our proof of life. The question of the day is, where are we in fitting in today with following this calling? Are we showing this proof of life? What is our identity? Are we, are we assuming a false identity somehow? Because things have come in our life and, and invaded us? taking us hostage. We've been freed by the blood of Jesus. He already paid the ransom. We're not hostages anymore. We can't have a hostage mentality when we're free. Amen? So let's show God's proof of life in us. Let's build His kingdom. And let's do the work that He calls us to do. Amen? God bless you. Pastor Ron, a big thank you. Don't know about you, but I was encouraged and I was challenged. I thank you so much for your passionate word this morning. That was awesome, awesome. And what a setup also for our altar workers training. We're going to talk all about that in just a little bit. So let me just pray and bless you, and we're going to go out and enjoy a wonderful week. We're sharing God's love and his power to those around us. Father, thank you for your goodness and your love. Thank you for this awesome family here at Southgate. And as we leave this place carrying your fire, carrying your love, carrying an extension of what you want to do in your will, we thank you, Father, that you have given us all that we need to do above and beyond in your name. Bless my friends here today. Fill them with your love and your encouragement. Bless them in their body, their mind, their soul, and their homes and their relationships. Go before us. We thank you and love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you, family. Have a great week.